you know, I, I do thank the, the childhood that I had for giving me a little bit of perspective on that. Well, you know, growing up, not even having electricity and, you know, getting our water out of a ditch that flowed down a mountain that we had to go up and clean all the time and stuff. And it really, uh, it makes it so that I realize that we don't need a lot. All right, let's do this. Today is a special podcast for me. It's been a long time in the making. Ryan and I started this podcast Christmas Eve 2016. So that means it's been about two and a half years now, which seems crazy because it seems like we've been doing it longer than that. And the amount of um, amazing people that we have met in those two and a half years is really mind-blowing. I just wanted to give a little bit of gratitude and thanks to everybody out there who sends in emails, sends us messages, makes comments on social media, and actually, you know, introduces themselves if they meet us in public. To all the people that say thank you to us, I just want to say thank you to you. Uh, it's some days I feel like, you know, I'm not doing enough and, and Ryan may feel like that too, but definitely me, my personality feels like you should always be doing more. And this last weekend we were at the Total Archery Challenge at Big Sky and so many people coming up and introducing themselves and saying thank you for what we're doing and that we help their health and all this stuff. And I put a little video on our Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health if, if you want to watch it, but I just I just feel like every day I get a different message and I meet new people and that's really what keeps us going. It's definitely what keeps me going. Uh, my value, you know, I put a lot of value on helping other people and when I know that other people are getting benefit, especially with health and their lifestyle, uh, whether it's emotional health, physical health, mental health, I just feel really blessed. Well, we get quite a few emails, and I know we don't respond to all of them. And if you send us a thank you email through the website or through social media, again, I want to say thank you. We got this great email. Oh, we got it at the beginning of July, but I thought it would be fun to read and just to share why we feel so strongly about this and why we want to keep helping people, but and why you know we continue with the podcast. Podcast is hard to do; it's a lot of work, but. It's so much fun to see people's responses and how they're benefiting. So here we go. This email is from Mitchell Demko, and I'm guessing he's from Pennsylvania because he finishes the email with, you have listeners in Amish country, Pennsylvania, which is even more crazy. I mean, we live in Montana. We started in Washington state and we are hearing from people all over the country, even all over the world. So he says, I have searched far and wide for a podcast that basically fits my lifestyle as well as my family's. We are small scale homesteaders and huge into homeopathic and holistic health practices. Our diet's so important to us, which is why we grow a ton of our own food. We stick to a Weston A. Price diet, which means healthy fats and getting back to our roots where everything is not provided from a box. 
I hunt to provide for the family and my wife, and I work out on a constant basis, although it's slowing down due to the addition of our second little one coming. Yes, this happens. I have been looking personally for a podcast to see how others address these three topics so that I can continue to pursue ways to have speaking opportunities to educate this culture that has fallen off into the deep and into terrible, unsustainable lifestyles. From the podcast I have listened to, I feel like I am listening to myself speak. Thank you guys for speaking on a topic that is needed for this culture. We need people who know how to actually live. Too often, the actual health trends don't push through enough to actually provide your own healthy foods. And the homesteading podcasts don't speak enough about getting our meat from the wild. You guys nailed it on this podcast. All that being said, the message was basically to say thank you. I have searched for over a year to find a podcast that fits my lifestyle, and finally I have. I will be a forever listener and hope to catch up to your current podcast ASAP. I mean, when you get emails like this, you go, holy cow, I never want to quit doing this podcast when you hear that people are are benefiting that much from it. So I really appreciate you, Mitchell, for sending that email, as well as the many, many others about, about you of you out there that send us emails and messages. It's, it's really, um, it's really changed our lives. So I'm glad it's changing yours. Um, today's podcast has kind of been a podcast a long time in the making. And I'm going to give you some backstory on um, my guest today before we get started. Because I've really wanted from day one, I've wanted to get her on this podcast. Uh, Back in early 2017 or so, you know, we were working on our social media, we just started the podcast. Back then, it was like, we were literally just, you know, had a couple hundred followers or whatever. And this gal followed me on Instagram, or she followed Hunt Harvest Health. And I went and looked at her page. And she had this CSA farm in Southern. So you're getting farmed food right from the farmer. And when you're a gardener, and you live like in Washington State, and it's the middle of winter, and you're looking scrolling through these pictures of the most amazing, beautiful veggies and fruits and the sunshine and you're just dreaming of gardening season in Southern California, you know, gardening season is all the time. So I'd see these photos and not only the photos were the photo striking, but what she wrote under each photo, but she is a very prolific writer. And so once in a while, you know, every couple posts, she would write something that was like reading a book, like reading a novel, like reading about somebody's life. And she'd kind of pull you in to what she was writing. And in that moment, you would really feel it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I would love to have this woman on our podcast, mainly to talk about food, because she obviously loved food. And she was like us and she loved gardening. And she was a farmer and she had a CSA farm and she was organic. And I saw that she followed me and then I I DM'd her on Instagram. And we, we kind of became friends. And I said, I would love to do a podcast with you someday. I'd love to come to your farm. And that was back when Ryan and I were just starting this. And the thought of like, you know, paying for a plane ticket to go to San Diego as a business expense. I mean, we, we had no income to this podcast. And so we were like, we wouldn't spend money. We would just, you know, we would do podcasts with people that we were near or we could get to. But flying to San Diego for that seemed kind of out of reach at that time. When she wrote back, she said, I'd love to do your podcast. 
podcast. If you want to learn more about me and you want to learn more about my story or, you know, whatever, um, I did a podcast with Jocko Willink. Uh, she sent me the link to it. Now, I'm sure most of you guys out there, because a large percentage of our listeners here are men, you likely know who Jocko Willink is. He's he's a ex Navy SEAL, and he has a very popular podcast. And come to find out that Iris, who we're going to talk to today, her husband is one of Jocko's. They were both Navy SEALs. So Iris's husband, Jason Gardner, just retired as a Navy SEAL, but he was a Navy SEAL for thirty years. And so him and Jocko were friends. And little did I know this when I first DM'd her. I just thought, oh my gosh, this woman has an amazing place. I want to see it. Because this world is really, truly a small world, especially when you start getting into social media, I had no idea what I was going to hear on that podcast from Iris. And I have to hand her and Jocko huge kudos for opening up the topics that they talked about in that podcast. And I'm not going to go into that here, um, mainly because I feel that that podcast, it's number 70 uh, on the Jocko Willing podcast. It's, it's so, he did such a good job of interviewing her and, and talking to her and reading some of her writings that she did around this subject of abuse that she sustained as a child. And it just made me, that, that podcast for one is a woman, uh, just wrenched at my heart. And it, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, honestly, when, when you hear Iris's story, it should wrench at your heart. Because she is such a prolific writer, and she has an amazing way with words. You know, she she did a lot of writing around her experiences. And she did live a childhood, which she's going to talk about in this podcast. She lived off the grid literally off the grid. And uh, she will attribute her upbringing and the lifestyle she had to her definite love for food, for nature, for horses, for all the things that she has done in her life and she loves to do. Um, But she had some pretty dark times. And when I listened to that podcast and I listened to Jocko talking about these subjects, it just made me want to talk to her even more. So we kept in touch and I had just gone over to Seattle for work and for a wedding. I'd taken my kids. Her husband retired, I think maybe even Christmas time, something like that. And they moved back to northeast Washington, so north of Lake Roosevelt. And this was an area she had lived in as a young child. And so she moved back to kind of that property, that area. And once he retired, she wanted out of San Diego. And she'll kind of explain that in this podcast. But they went back there and I saw that she was back. And I sent her a thing and said, I'm going to be in Washington. I would love to come by your house and talk with you about food. Because she has two young children like I do. She loves food. She's a farmer. She's she's more than a gardener. She's a farmer. Um, she's a horse gal. She's she's a hunter. She is a backcountry spirit. She said, yeah, just come on by and, and whatever. Well, she lives way out there. I didn't just come on by. It was kind of way out of the way. But it was so worth it. We got there. We stayed in a, in a schoolhouse from the turn of the century, last century, um, that she has on her property. Me and my girls stayed there. Um, amazingly fabulous. I had dinner that night at the dude ranch right above her house. There's an actual dude ranch up there with like real cowboys, beautiful horses everywhere up in the mountains. 
and I had dinner with Jason. I got to meet him, their children, Storm and Thor. Helen Willink was there, Jocko's wife, and, and one of her uh, daughters and a niece. And so I had my girls, and the kids hit it off. They played all night. And I got to have some great, stimulating, wonderful conversation with these wonderful people. The next morning, uh, we got up really early. Me and Iris got up. Uh, everyone was still sleeping. The kids were all still sleeping. And we sat underneath one of her cherry trees out in her property. And we did uh, this podcast plus the next one that I'm going to put out. Uh, that's two-parter. It was so appropriate just just for what I had all I thought I had already experienced a virus uh, just through social media. But it was so cool to be sitting under that cherry tree listening to her tell me about her life, tell me about, you know, how she loves food, about farming, about the land, about nature. Uh, in part two, we're going to talk about being a military wife, really for the women out there and are, I guess, the men that are, you know, left behind and, and how important it is to to know who you are and to have some independence. And like her, you know, she loved to do a farm and that's what she did while her husband was gone. Uh, for years and years, she farmed and it kept her busy. It was just a, it was a very kind of surreal day for me. Unfortunately, I had to leave because we all had to come home. And I really, you know, next time I plan to go, I, I'm hoping that I can go on a backcountry trip with Iris because she's that's where she loves to be. Iris has all of that wrapped in into one. And so before I go, get into the podcast, I, I know this is a long intro, but you know, people like this deserve amazing intros. And so make sure that you go listen to Iris, um, learn more about Iris and her story if you want to, if you know, and there's a lot of deep stuff on there, traumatic stuff on there, but also it's like the Sphinx rising from the ashes story. And I absolutely loved getting to know her that way first. And then now just that I know her, it's amazing. So I'm just going to read from one of her posts because her writing is so amazing. And then we'll go right into this podcast with Iris Gardner. You can find her at all the wild places on Instagram. There's a way to handle life, a way to finesse all the beautiful things into your heart in a manner that leaves little room for woes and worries. I see anxiety and fear and depression nipping at the heels of happiness in people all around me, and all I can think is stop. Stop a minute. Take note of that fat beauty plum, plump and cool in the palms of your hand. Catch scent of the mimosa blossoms as sweet and warm as the summer breeze. See that monarch over there, her delicate wings as light and fragile as baby's breath. She's got a whole world of trouble deeper than you. She'll live and die in a span incomprehensibly brief to us. And in that moment of life, she'll soar on drifting wind currents, sip nectar from sweet-scented flowers, fall in love and produce children in the way that small, fragile creatures do. And then one day, just a blink for us, her fragile wings will grow quiet. They'll miss a beat here or there. She'll alight upon the just-open blossom of a morning glory, and her wings will cease to flutter ever again. Just a blink, just a moment for us, a whole life lived out, beautiful and free and full. There's a way to handle life. It's not something you'll find inside the strangling walls of houses, on busy streets or crowded places. It's not magic, no mystery, just quietly there, waiting for you to stop and notice. <laughs> Oh,
It's a good 30 minutes on a back road out here to um, this beautiful piece of property. So we got here last night with my kids and um, we had dinner at like a dude ranch up here on the mountain and it's 7.30 in the morning and we're sitting outside under a cherry tree, which is so appropriate for what I would think about podcasting with you. So welcome, Myers. Oh, thank you so much for making the trip over here. I know we're kind of out in the sticks a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's worth it. It's not pouring rain either. We're lucky yeah. right now. But um, Iris, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Um, I met you last night, your children, mm -hmm. Storm and Thor, your husband, Jason. Um, he's a, I guess, retired now Navy SEAL. Yes, he did uh, 30 years in the SEAL teams and yeah. just retired a few months ago. So that's wow. what really made us decide to get out of Southern California and move back up to the mountains. Yeah. But I grew up um, here and then also in the really, really rural area in Northern California. And um, I lived here till I was like five and then moved down there till I was 12 and then back up here. So my entire childhood was spent way out, way out middle of nowhere. Um, when I lived in Northern California, we didn't have electricity, no telephone, no television. Um, basically, you know, I grew up like we lived in the 1800s still for the most wow. part. You know, um, we used kerosene lanterns, red, red at night uh, by kerosene lantern and um, just had this really tiny, humble little place out in the middle of nowhere. My dad was a gold, did gold mining and then logging. And, um, my mom always grew like huge gardens and put away food, you know, prepared mm -hmm. stuff, put away food for us. So that's really where my love for that was instilled in me was when I was a kid and always seeing, um, my mom out working in the big gardens and stuff. And I didn't have that much interest in it when I was a kid, but as you know, and it's a, it's one of those funny things where you think what you're doing doesn't your kids don't notice or don't care about what you're doing but everything they see you do still leaves like a lasting impact on them right. and what I saw my mom doing as a kid as I became an adult I'm like wow I really miss having all that fresh wonderful food <laughs> yeah maybe I should start gardening too and and um started to get into that I met my husband um well, let, let me back up a little bit. I started after high school. I went and worked as a horse wrangler on um, some guest ranches around the West. I worked in Montana um, in Glacier National Park for a few years as a wrangler and then went down to Colorado and eventually back up to Washington. And I met my husband at a ranch up here where the SEAL snipers train. And I was a horse wrangler and he, you know, we fell in love with each other and convinced me to move to Southern California, which mm. I did reluctantly. Um, but it, it's been good. I've been down there for about 13, 14 years. And when I was down there, you know, he would deploy a lot and I needed something that I really wanted to launch myself into. So that's about 10, 12 years ago is when I started first hearing about CSA farms. Mm -hmm. 
And I had no idea what they were at that point. And we'd bought this 18-acre piece of property about an hour outside of San Diego, right on the Mexican border. Mm-hmm. And he was deployed in, um, to, I think, Afghanistan at that point. And I started reading about CSA farms. And uh, CSA, for anyone who doesn't know, is Community Supported Agriculture. And the principle behind it is basically that a farmer will raise whatever they can, whether, you know, some farms do meat, some farms do do eggs, some people make things, um, canned goods, whatever, and then what they grow in their gardens. And whatever they have available, people will get, people pay up front to kind of pay the cost of the farming. And then they will get a box or a basket of whatever the farm is producing every week for you know, whatever amount was agreed upon. So the nice thing with it is you can start out small and, you know, some CSA farms only have five customers who every week they get a box or a basket of things. And then some of them have hundreds of customers that they supply weekly. And so it really gives you a lot of freedom to grow Mm -hmm. as a farm. And so that's what I did. I was like, well, shoot, I, I like growing things and I've got acreage and um, went ahead and started planting and growing upon that. My husband spent his whole time in Afghanistan as I'm telling him, you know, he's, I talked to him on the phone and all excited, like, oh, I'm going to start this thing. And, you know, he's super supportive and he's a distraction for him when he's in this really intense deployment over in mm-hmm. Afghanistan was thinking about what he was going to do when he came back to help with the farm. And he planned out while he was over there, all these like beautiful archways and raised bed gardens and things. And I think that was really good in a time when he was, um, you know, had a tremendous amount of stress going on, right? dealing with this really kinetic deployment in Afghanistan. He was spending all his free time, like planning this, this amazing farm that he and when he came back he was uh he 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 struggled some coming back from that deployment I mean he's been a seal for a very long time and been through um you know a lot of different conflicts but that was a really rough one for him and when he came back he definitely was showing some PTSD type behaviors and um would get very angry very easily and um you know just just couldn't couldn't bring himself back to where he needed to be drinking more than he should have and um just kind of struggling and i i really truly believe that had we not been on the farm like doing working hard every day with this big goal in mind to build this amazing place I don't know how he would have done. I think that it really, um, it helped him tremendously to be able to just physically work hard every day, which a lot of the guys, they come, you know, they're used to working really hard when they're deployed, but they come home and they, they live in, they live on base or they live in a condo in downtown or something. And they don't, they just don't have the purpose that they had before. And so for him to be able to launch himself into this farming where he's working hard every day, he's planning things, he's building things with his hand. And I think hands, and I think that's something that we, we've kind of forgotten how important that is in this day and age age to actually produce something with your hands. Yeah. Um, It's really a special thing to do. And it's something that we need to do. 
And so that that really went a long ways, I think, to bring his mental health back to where it needed to be. And the product of that was that we had this great, beautiful farm that we mm-hmm. built. And we just went crazy and started planting everything because the climate that we had down there in Southern California, sort of a mountainous, um, arid region, we could grow year round, which is something I'd never had before living in Northern states. And so that was amazing and really kind of a Mediterranean type climate where we planted everything from like pomegranates and persimmons to you get to grow all the like <laughs> um sexy beautiful things yes. that you can't lemon it, it was very fun pomegranates. Yeah. it was very fun for for me never having done that before to plant all the stuff that is kind of seems exotic to us and um and just the the amount of variety that we could grow down there was crazy and then farming year round um Initially, it seemed like a really great thing, right? Like we can grow year round. And what I learned, though, over the 10 years that I did that is that when you grow year round, you don't ever get a break. It's just nonstop. And through the course of my husband deploying multiple times and us building this farm, um, as many young farmers do, we decided that it would just be a fantastic idea to have some kids to throw in there. <laughs> well, you need workers except it takes a good 10 years. I see so many farmers that are like young and enthusiastic and they're like, yeah, we're going to farm and let's have some kids and it'll be amazing. Oh. And no one has any idea like what that actually looks like. And yes, it's a it's an amazing way to raise kids, but the amount of work that you put on yourself trying to farm and raise kids. Well, I can't imagine, you know, you, a new baby too. And if oh. you're if your husband's deployed and here you've got to get up every day and and do what you need the farm to do doesn't to wait get that for weekly you. basket to people yeah. and here you have a newborn. I mean, that alone sounds just like I mean, I know for us, having a little garden that just feeds us, keeping on top of it and having children, yeah. it's kind of like they get, it gets neglected <laughs> in those first few years, you know? You know, I, I thought about it a lot when I had a baby and I'm like strapping the baby on my back every day and going out and it's hard work bending over like weeding and hoeing rows and stuff. It's hard work without a baby on your mm-hmm. back, but then you have the baby on your back and that makes it extra hard and your back is broken at the end of every day. And um, thank goodness for those those baby carriers, the, oh, yeah. the ergo pack and stuff. We, we used that thing for years and it was a lifesaver. But, um, you know, that's what women have been doing that for yep. forever. Yep. And that's what I kept telling myself is like, you know, there's women that are, they have a baby and two days later they're out in the rice paddy or something with their baby on their back and it's just it's something that we are capable of doing we just have to really suck it up to (laughs) to do it well I think too we I think traditionally and and you've probably had a bit of a different upbringing you know it sounds like you living off grid as a child and um, wrangling horses and doing this you know you're used to hard laborious work that's just kind of goes along with the with the deal, um, especially putting up your own food and all that stuff from a young age. Um, but most people are soft. They don't, 
they don't, they drive to work every day in their car and they sit all day at a desk and they don't build the muscles and the stamina to do the physical job of just something like tending and growing a garden, which is a whole lot of physical manual labor. Um, and then much less strapping 10, 20, 30 pounds on your back and doing that in the hot sun and all these things. And I think that we are built to do that, but I think we are, we were losing some of that with the yeah. advent of convenience and having food right there at our ready. So most people, you know, if you had them go out, it would take a while. You'd have to condition people. For sure. You know? even, even things as simple as like having air conditioning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're used to being in the air conditioning, when it's hot outside and you have to go outside and it's a hundred degrees and you've got a baby on top of it, but you can't, you can't not, or else your crops are going to die. Um, you know, it's, it really, it takes conditioning to get there for sure. Um, but it also, it just, it takes some perspective. I mean, I, I was thinking this recently as I'm driving down the road and it's super hot in my air conditioned car. And I'm like, just not that long ago, you know, when I was a kid, a teenager, our vehicles didn't have air conditioning. No. Everywhere we went, we just rolled down the window and it was baking hot and you just, you know, and, and now you, you never do that. And we've, we've changed so much in such a short period mm -hmm. of time. But the reality is, is that we did live like that forever. Mm -hmm. And while it seems extra hard to, when you're not used to it, we can do it. We just have to believe that we can do it and put ourselves in a position where we test ourselves and, <laughs> With the, with the kids though, it's, you know, it's, I was really thankful that I had that actually, because I see a lot of moms really struggle yeah. with young kids and I feel like I didn't, I never realized how much I needed a purpose until I had my kids and starting a farm gave, really gave me that purpose and it forced me, it's really easy when you have a baby to just go, oh, it's too hard to go. I'm just going to stay inside and we'll, you know, watch cartoons or whatever. It's really hard to go somewhere. It's really hard to, and it is, but when something forces you to have to do it, I think it's actually a good thing mm -hmm. to have to get up, get out of the house, take your kid and go and do something. And so, and I mean, for the kids, it's, it's amazing. It's like, I can't tell you how many hours my kids spent when they before they could even walk just like sitting in a basket or a wagon or a crate or whatever you know playing with irrigation pipe and looking up at the at the leaves and the trees and stuff and I think you can't you can't buy that it's really special you know I uh I grew up in Montana Colorado Wyoming and Montana and uh you know my parents gardened and and then when my mom met my stepdad you know we kind of go on the res and I just lived a very like nature life you know you kind of to the point where you take it for granted right like there's stars in the sky the running joke with my mom is I would always come back from the city when I was older and I'd say oh my gosh look at all the stars and she'd say they've always been there like yeah you know you just don't notice them anymore um because you don't take the time to notice them anymore you're busy right you're in that stage of your life but I I think back to those times and I feel like as an adult, those were the, those were the things that really 
that's what I go back to when I'm like sitting in the city on traffic and I'm freaked out. I, I realized, and too, when I got older, I, I, I worked a lot, I traveled a lot and I'd go to places like New York city and, um, see patients and children that had never been out of like Brooklyn. They've never yeah. seen a mountain. They've never seen a horse like yeah, a, a, in real life. A, a real horse that isn't like a horse in, walking around Central Park. Um, and mm. they have, and they, if you tell them stories like where I grew up, there's mountains behind my house and you could ride a horse for miles and you could go to Yellowstone Park and see buffalo and their eyes would just get really big. Like it's like stuff out of a storybook. And I, and I took all that for granted and it took me getting older and going out to the world and seeing how a lot of people live and what they don't have access to, to make me really appreciate that childhood that of course, when I was younger, I thought it was hard and yeah. it sucked and it's it was boring, boring. out here. There's, There's I mean, that's why do. I moved to the city. This place has nothing to offer. Um, and but I definitely know now my appreciation for nature was being exposed to that and also some of the hardships, you know, living in a house with no running water, having respect for water. Yeah. Like people don't even respect water. They just, water just comes out of the tap and water's just a renewable resource that we're always going to have. And when you live where you have to bucket your water in and you get a five minute shower and um, it's not it's not coming out of the faucet. You know, you have to heat it up on the stove, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You go like water is really, it's just, it's like one little thing about it. And then is, you know, it, it gives you a lot of appreciation that we have water. Yeah. I mean, it's really, especially the when you grow food, everything. right? You realize oh, soil yeah. and water are two resources that are being destroyed. Actually. Growing farming in Southern California with the droughts and everything yeah. like you know, every single day we would get up and look at the weather and, you know, is it going to rain? Is it going to rain? And down there, it's crazy. It just, it doesn't, I mean, it can go nine months, eight, nine months without a drop of rain. And um, that gets really demoralizing after a while. And that was really probably the hardest thing for me, actually, was just um, trying to farm and always worrying about water. Yeah. always worrying because even if you have enough water to irrigate like everything is everything gets dusty you get dust storms and the tree the the plants just don't thrive the way they do up here you know mm -hmm. up here a little bit of sunshine and some water and things just grow like mad they yeah. come out of winter where everything is just bare and sparse and in the short amount of time that they just blossom and fruit and but down there, things, things, while you can, the temperature is good, you can grow a lot. It, water, it really, you begin to realize how fundamental water is to absolutely everything. And yeah, we don't, we, we take it for granted mm -hmm. and, um, it's easy to access right now. I don't know if it'll always be that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, and up here, you know, our problem in the Pacific Northwest was too much water. Half yeah. the time we were trying to figure out how to dry our stuff out and um so we had the opposite condition but come summer months that water gets used up and you're watering and you're thinking like how is it that I'm watering right now you know <laughs> two three months ago we were sitting in water but it you know it's it's uh, 
it's such a valuable resource and we don't think about it. And again, even the same idea of like, you know, where does your food come from? A lot of people don't think about that. Um, there's not that connection to that. Um, and, and maybe it's, it's not having that living in an environment where you grew your food and, and you have that kind of, you know, relationship. Um, but I think that everybody, if exposed to it and everybody that even children, um, we'd work on projects like in the inner city where they come into communities and build community gardens or people had none of that. And, and people would just love it and thrive in the children and they would go in and garden and it was such a different feeling. So even having just a little piece of land where you can create that appreciation, you can grow something yourself, it, it makes a huge difference. And that right there could be enough to change one of these children's lives. A hundred percent. The way they eat, how, how they grow up, violence, like all these things that could you could probably trace back to food. Yeah, I think there's something about kids. Kids are just naturally drawn to growing things. Mm-hmm. They love it. They Kids are always interested in it. They always want to know about how the plant grows, what the plant looks like. And if they can actually grow a plant to where it produces something. I mean, you know, I let my kids plant corn. Corn is such a rewarding crop because it, it grows fast, it grows big, and it produces something very yummy that mm-hmm. they like. And they can... And you know, they've just, they've just grown their own food. And that is a, I don't think people realize so much anymore how important that skill actually is. You know, I, not too long ago, I reread for the numerous time, The Grapes of Wrath. Mm. And looking back, just, just not very long ago, I mean, it was surprisingly, the Great Depression was not that long Mm -mm. ago. And uh, people, by the, by the thousands, we're just starving to death in this country. And just being able to, and, and trying to grow their own food, like trying to find some, I think they had seen a scene in there where they were like out in the forest on someone else's land trying to scrape out this little plot to grow their own food. And it really hit me of how fundamentally being able to grow your own food, there's really nothing else that's more Mm-mm. important than that. If, if you need to survive... Having clean water and being able to grow your own food, what is more important than Mm -hmm. that? And so kids are naturally drawn to it. And I I see even, like I said, growing up with a big garden and not really caring about it. But it's still, I still learned from it. And if we can get kids, I mean, I love seeing schools that have little gardens and programs Mm -hmm. to teach kids. Um, Community gardens are amazing. I think definitely I would encourage any parent who lives in a city and does not have the ability to grow their own garden, see see what you can do. See what you can get your Mm -hmm. kids involved in if you can possibly become part of a community garden or if there's even gardening classes or anything. go do do farm tours there's usually farms Mm -hmm. local small farms around that sometimes they put on classes for kids sometimes they just let you come and see them but get your kids around that stuff as much as possible even if it's something that they don't ever utilize in their life it's still really great knowledge to have and to just spark that little bit of oh I could do this I could grow this if I wanted to or if I needed to right and people don't people also don't I feel like the le- like the lettuce industry, it's huge. It's an, it's enormous. <clears throat> the amount of water that gets 
dumped into lettuce fields for everyone to have their nicely bagged little salads or whatever. It's so easy to grow fresh greens. Even if you just have a patio, it's not hard to put some pots out there and grow some lettuce or some spinach or something. And anyone with a small backyard can grow at least some salad greens and some herbs. Yep. And I would love to see more people actually realizing that they can do that. I always see here, people always tell me, oh, but I don't have a green thumb. I don't have a green thumb. I can't do it. I'm like, believe me, my thumb is as brown as anybody's. <laughs> I kill more plants than anybody does. But it's just persistence. It's like, well, okay, with that plant died, I'll try another one. I'll try another one. Maybe I'll try a different variety. Maybe I need to move it over here to this other location. Maybe it needs more sun. It's just persistence. It's not about whether or not you know how to grow something. You learn that as you go. Right. You pick, you, there's books, there's, there's a million Facebook groups now that are for gardening, local gardening in your area, everything like that. You the can resources available now compared to when we were kids. Yeah. Like remember we had to go to like a bookstore, yeah, a, a library, library with a card catalog. Find some. Now you have like Google, go to Barnes and Noble. Now I, I had a family member send me a text what do you think, you know, where should I start with the keto diet? Mm. Oh, that's a huge question, right? Yeah. Like, uh, well, let's let's have a talk there for like a full day. I was in Barnes & Noble. There was an entire wall, <laughs> literally. 5,000 keto, keto diet books. Cookbooks, just cookbooks. Yeah. And I just took a video of it, sent it to him. I said, go to the bookstore and just buy a book, buy a cookbook and read through it i mean like the resources now and the information that people have to do it is phenomenal i think it's i think it can be intimidating people feel that maybe um they i think a lot of people think that it is really hard yeah like growing food is really hard and i'm a big advocate if you've listened to podcasts like i'm all about starting small like put a couple pots like you said on your patio and grow some lettuce for sure that is really easy to do but you also learn about soil you learn about you know what soil did i use what is the soil having do i need to fertilize these plants how do i feed them what nutrients are they not getting do they have enough sun did i overwater them you know you start to learn about that start small and learn about how what a plant needs yeah. And then you can kind of, you can grow from there. So many people mess up their gardens initially by buying the like bagged garden soil or whatever that, you know, you go to Home Depot and you buy yeah. the garden soil. And it's, it's primarily wood chips that aren't properly composted and, and their soil gets too dry and their soil doesn't have any nitrogen in it and their stuff all looks like crap and doesn't grow and, um, that that is probably the number one thing to learn is building healthy soil. Mm-hmm. Um, when we initially we put in about um, at our farm we put in about half, probably close to half an acre in raised beds. We built all these these raised beds. The desert soil down there was just had no nutrients in it, and so we to maximize water and keep our soil healthy, we decided to do this. And uh, we just built the soil. We used some native dirt that was just on the property. We used um, a lot of hay, like alfalfa hay, Hmm. and then went to stables and got composted horse manure. 
you definitely if you're using manure you want to get stuff that's really well composted um, or you can get a lot of weed problems in your okay. gardens but that basically those three things just dirt horse manure and get some bales of and and if you have a small garden you don't need very much go to a stable they usually give you manure for free you mm -hmm. take a couple garbage cans or something they'll load you up and you've got that for free you can buy a bale of hay for you know depending on where you're at like fifteen dollars or something so maybe get two or three four bales of hay um, alfalfa is nice it's higher in nitrogen and use that just layer it we just layered it hay manure dirt hay manure dirt or in whatever order you want it doesn't really matter and uh, it just breaks down into beautiful soil hmm. and it's it's easy it's simple there's nothing complicated about it you're much better off doing that and it's a lot cheaper than going and buying a million bags of Home Depot garden soil that is probably going to mess up your garden anyways, mm -hmm. and then it's going to take you a couple of years to where it'll actually grow decent. So it's a really easy, but then once you get that going, the, the hay starts to break down in a couple of weeks, you can basically plant right in it. And for me, the test is always like, if I can dig down into the soil and there's worms, mm -hmm. then everything's healthy. Everything's good. The worms come up to the surface. They're keep, there's organic matter in the soil. They're keeping it healthy. If you dig down and it's kind of sandy looking and there's not any worms, then you need to add organic matter. That's really what it comes down to. And, and simply just mulching, putting mulch around the plants, putting and, and hay and straw that works as a great mulch as well. And that'll bring more worms in. They need that organic matter to eat. So it's not really that complicated to set up a garden. And pe mm -hmm. I think you're right that people do. They, they think it's just, I don't know what to do. It's too much. I can't. And so then they don't do it. Yeah, and and you you do have to learn about these things. Like you have, to, like you said, you have to yeah. figure soil out because, you know, most people have these beautiful manicured back lawns with sod on them or whatever, and underneath there's not good soil, and they go out there and they throw a garden in, and then they're like, my garden didn't grow, and it's yeah. like, well, you're using dead soil that's probably full of chemicals yeah. too. And stuff. how much Roundup have you sprayed on your yeah. dandelions in yeah. your lawn? So it's a, you know, it's, it's an education and, and I will say I'm definitely more impatient than my husband is, you know, he's all about trying to figure out, he likes the challenge of how do you figure out what a plant likes and where do you plant it and what do you plant together and what's in the soil, what makes the best soil, you know, what do the worms like? Like all these things. I'm kind of like, you know, the person who like, I just want some just lettuce. Just want it to grow. Can I just have some <laughs> lettuce? <laughs> so, you know, I guess I'm, I, he's in the thing of like, start a big garden, play around, figure it out. And I'm like, no, just have a couple pots and don't, you know, yeah, don't there's a happy medium, burn I yourself think. out. And be the like, other I thing people, I think, mess up on is they, they plant a whole, they get excited and they plant a whole bunch of stuff that they don't even actually like to eat. Right, exactly. You like, know, like they do don't you, even know how to cook greens. Do you actually like eggplant, or are you just planting it because there were starts at the nursery and you got them? Are you actually going to eat that? Like, take your space and you and plant it with stuff that you actually like and that you mm -hmm. actually will eat. Now, it's great once you figure gardening out. It's fantastic to, it, you know, to start planting more stuff. And it turns out that maybe that that shrivelly eggplant that you get got in the grocery store didn't taste good but the one that you grow on your own plant all of a sudden you love eggplant you know something like that but but start out with the stuff that you like learn how to grow that 
and then, you know, move on from there to bigger and better things. Right. Well, how, how has it been the transition from California to here? I mean, leaving that, leaving that garden and leaving that work and all that, all that, that you did there, you know, how was that transition for you? Yeah, I thought it would be harder than it was. I mean, we put 10 years of our lives into that and, um, you know, a tremendous amount of work, raised our kids there. Um, well, our kids are only seven and eight, so they still have a lot of raising to go, <laughs> yeah. but they, they've lived there their whole life so far. And, um, but it's a, it's a grind. Farming is a grind mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't give you a lot of freedom. It's an amazing life, but it's also a challenging one. And so with my husband retiring from the SEAL teams, we decided that we wanted to make some changes and, and I've never, I never fell in love with the desert. I mm. always wanted to be, I mean, really that's why I planted a huge garden and got into farming is because I was trying to create something lush and beautiful where there wasn't anything like yeah. that. And so, um, I've always just been dying to get back to the forest and the mountains and want my kid. It was really important for me, for my kids to grow up in that kind of environment so while most people thought that our kids had this amazing life living on a farm, to me it was like, well, this is okay until we can get to where things are really wild and they can have that kind of childhood. So we moved up to northeastern Washington right on the Canadian border in December, last December, which was a funny transition for our little <laughs> Southern California kids who <laughs> you had seen snow like opposite. twice in their life. And we moved up to you know, a couple feet of snow on the ground and zero degree weather. And, but it's been fantastic. I mean, we really went winter. I was hesitant about winter, but I've got gained perspective on winter. And I really feel like it's, it's just, it's all, it's all in your attitude about it. We, we loved it. We, I got cross country skis for the kids. We just Mm. ski right out our door. Um, even hiking in the snow in the winter, it's beautiful. It's, it's different and different is good. In Southern California, all you see is blue sky, like 360 days a year. It's just blue sky, blue sky, blue sky, not even any clouds usually. And so here the sky is dramatic all the time. The weather is dramatic. I mean, in one day you can have hail, rain, snow, sun, whatever. It's all here all the time. So, yeah, I mean, growing up in the North, I always would dream about a kid, you know, when it's 20 below, I dream about like people live in places that are warm right now. And this year, even I went to Mexico for a week, it was like 80 and I came home and I got stuck at the airport because nobody could come get me because it was like 15 below and the snow drifts blocked everybody in the house. You know, I, I think like, wow, it would be nice not to live in that. But truthfully, there's something there's something about winter that is much like our bodies where you kind of need a time off, you know, especially if you're doing like what you're doing, you're farming, you're gardening, like all the things we love to do outside. There's, there's a nice balance in winter because it kind of shuts everything down. You know, you go to bed earlier, it gets darker earlier. I feel like our family spends more time together. Um, just, in a more intimate environment instead of like, you know, summer comes and it's expansive and you're outside and it, where we days. live here, the days are really yeah. long and you don't have dinner till sometimes like 10 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah. and your kids are running around. So that the energy of summer is very expansive and open and, and, um, 
vibrant and winter is like it's it's more i guess in chinese medicine they talk the yin and the yang you know mm -hmm. winter is the yin it's the time to go inside meditate go to bed sleep it's dark and it's funny that i've just been raised in that and i kind of um i kind of welcome winter now oh I even do though too. montana yeah. winter's we had a rough a winter little, whoa <laughs> a like, little extreme we should have been canadians you know the 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 border should have been a little bit further south because I always think about Canadians. They're so tough, like winter. Yeah. They're like, you people just complain too much, right? But I really like winter. And I think that it helps us. It helps our bodies. It gives us that time to, to be like that. And of course, if you'd never lived in winter and lived in snow, you would be acclimated to that. But well, um, like most things, it's it's your mindset about it, you know. Yeah. And and I I completely agree. It's a it's a forced rest period, which we never had in in Southern California. We never had that rest mm. period. We farmed constantly, and every the weather was always the same. And and here it's it's wonderful. I mean, you look forward to it. You yeah, like you said, you spend much more time with your family. It, the kids come home from school. We go sledding for a little while. It gets dark, and then it's board games and reading books and putting together puzzles and things that we don't do at all in the summer. Right. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to have that shift. And yeah, as you said, with the yin and the yang, I mean, look at, look at animals. I, I always look at bears. I love bears and I feel like bears are one of the toughest animals that there is. It's incredibly hard to kill a bear. Um, they spend, they spend months just sleeping. Right. And they, they heal from things, you know, they get wounded. I, I don't know how many bears I've seen wounded f during hunting season. And they go and they hibernate and they heal and recover. And um, I think, you know, we're really becoming more conscious about how important sleep is mm -hmm. in our society. And, and they don't something eat to that. They, they don't hibernate. eat. They're basically they're fasting and sleeping, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think there's something to be taken from that. Yeah. And then in the summer, they have their period of foraging, long days, lots of good food. They fatten up, you know, berries and nuts and things and gets them all fat and sleek. But then they need that rest period, too. And I think we've really gotten away from that rest period yeah. as humans. And, and, and it doesn't surprise me how much anxiety and depression and things are going on with people because we don't ever give ourselves that quiet time or just enough sleep and rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's getting harder and harder for people to quiet their minds. I yeah, find it, it with myself, you know. I mean, we talked about this last night at dinner about the phones and the computers. And, you know, we talk about that. And it, that's a common sense thing. People know, like, I should turn my computer off. Yeah. And I should get ready for bed. But they but don't do there it. there doesn't seem to be as clear of a delineation anymore between, like, work and work and home. It's... It's like, I know I was self-employed for years or, you know, I have a podcast. It's like, stay up editing podcasts till midnight. I should not be on that computer. I shouldn't be doing that. But now it's kind of like everything bleeds into each other sometimes. And um, you have to, you do have to make an af active effort to put those things aside and and take that rest. Whether it's with your family, go to sleep, turn those things off. I think we all know. We all know that it's the oh, right yeah. thing to do, but actually implementing it in our lives seems extremely challenging. We all know that our kids shouldn't be sitting around on iPads for six hours a day, and we all know that 
we also shouldn't be doing that, um, that we need to have more time in nature. But it, it's, yeah, we've gotten caught up in, in the rush of life that is humanity, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not really sure how, how to fix that. I try to, you know, for my kids, I get them into the, I mean, they're surrounded by nature all mm-hmm. the time. So that in itself is good. But I see, you know, other kids who come, who've come and visited us from the city and they, but they spend a tremendous amount of time on electronics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they first get here, it's like, you know, they go out for a hike for 15 minutes and then they're like, oh, I'm tired. I want to go back. Uh, and, uh, you know, really what their brain is telling them is I want to go find my iPad or watch a video game or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can break that cycle pretty quickly with kids, surprisingly. You know, after a few days of having them away from that and, mm-hmm. and actually starting to realize that there's there's cool things out there in the world, mm-hmm. um, that seeing a bear or a deer just hiking to the top of a mountain and seeing the view is actually really rewarding. But they're not able to see it until they get some distance. And, and I think... It's it's very apparent in kids, but I think it's the same for adults. Mm-hmm. Well, just lose your phone. Yeah. And see how... You panic. How, <laughs> how much panic you're in. If I don't have my phone, I don't have yeah. communication. What how if I miss something? It's like, it's, it's that, the what same What am I going to miss something? That's, yeah. I think, really, it's, it's a dialogue that's in our brain all the time. What am I going to miss? What am I... Somebody might need to get a hold of me. Somebody... Well... You know, like my grandpa used to say, if you want to get a hold of me, call me when I'm home. (laughs) (laughs) When we tried to get him to get an answering machine, he'd be like, what? You know, he was a child of the Great Depression. He he lived through seeing so many changes in his lifetime. And we were like, you need a voicemail machine on your phone. So when we call, we can leave you a message. And he would say, why? Just call me when I'm home and I'll answer the phone. Like I. I don't need to have you leave me a message, right? Yeah. Um, but that's because it's just that that evolution of that and being constantly plugged in has been hard hard to, um, you know. And our kids don't know the difference now. So no, we they have don't. To, we have yeah. to. We really do have to encourage and force these things and yeah. make them realize that you know you don't need to be plugged into everything. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's something that we have to be really conscious of because it's very easy to not to not take the time to get them away from that. Mm-hmm. And and I think the there's there's a really huge divide between humans and nature now, and it it's got some kind of fundamental importance for us. I I don't I don't know exactly what, but I think that the further away from nature we get, the sicker we get. Mm-hmm. mentally and physically mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, it's an important thing to remember all the way around for kids and humans I think or and adults and I think that kids particularly are just susceptible to it though mm-hmm. you know when I see the amount of kids that are medicated and stuff in school and um, you know kids that are struggling with anxiety and and things like that and there's something wrong there's something broken and we need to look really hard at how to fix that. And I, I personally believe that it's all rooted in, in nature and how, mm-hmm. 
I mean, think about you get away from everything for a day or two. I, I love to backpack, so I go backpack and I ride horses too out in the mountains. And once you just get out there away from everything else, your mind does quiet mm -hmm. and it's very easy to just be at peace. But it's a daily struggle for most people in their everyday life trying to have their brain be at peace. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... I like I said I feel it in myself you know sometimes like but once you get away from it and you just do it and then it feels good and you don't want to go back you know it's like oh yeah. I don't want to go back to my phone I don't want to go back to the emails I don't want to go back to all that well but, and our our moving here was very deliberate too you know everybody's like oh you're so lucky you live in a place like that we it's not luck I mean we worked really hard yeah to have the lifestyle that we wanted to have. And we had a really clear picture of what kind of lifestyle we wanted to have, what was important to us, what was important in raising our kids. Um, I think a lot of people just get swept up in what they feel like they're supposed to do. And my, my thought on this is always that our life is really short. I mean, it, it just is, mm -hmm. it's, it's not very long. And, um, you know, our health span, our healthy life is even shorter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to just be complacent about it and go, well, you know, I don't love my job. I don't, I'm not really happy, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Your life is going to fly by. And that's, that's what you have. You're that, you know, that is, that is your life. You need to be proactive about making sure that it is what you want it to be. And so for us living here, it's like we worked really hard for it. We had a plan. This is what we wanted. And we needed to get out of the crowded areas and get as far out as we can be so that our kids have that and they're raised and they can hopefully grow up and instill that in their kids. And so, yeah, when people say, oh, you're so lucky to live there, I'm like, well, maybe if you feel that way, if you feel like we're lucky to live here, maybe you need to take action in your own life mm -hmm. to live in, you know, people are always like, Oh, I, I couldn't do it. You know, I have my job, my whatever, everyone's got an excuse for why, why they're stuck in the grind that they're stuck in. And sometimes you have to take big risks and you have to make, take big actions to make sure that your life is the way you want it to be because it isn't very long. And, and even if you live a completely full, healthy life, it's not very long, but you never know how long it could be much shorter than you would anticipate so yeah again another thing I think that's easily and I, I think it's an it's a neurological thing you know you don't want to walk around thinking about like how short your life is going to be yeah and how much you shouldn't take for granted but you see it in people who have been confronted with really difficult things mm -hmm. you know people who have been confronted with death people that have had near-life experiences people that have or near-death experiences people that have gotten the cancer diagnosis yeah. like all these things you hear about and then there's a switch that goes on where people are like oh I might die oh I should do all the things I always wanted to do yeah and I'm not doing them and it's not like you could I guess live like that all the time and live in a fairy world but I do I, th I think the older I get I do I, th I think to myself what is stopping you from from figuring it out and making a change? Um, I think that fear 
we we have this huge capacity really to do anything and to work hard and to follow our goals. I mean, people work years to get these high up the ladder jobs, you know, they like kill themselves to get there because that was their initial goal. Maybe when they get there, they realize like, oh crap, I don't want to be here. What am I doing here? How did I get here? Now I'm stuck. Now I'm trapped. Right. Yeah. I put too much time in. Yes. I can't just throw this this away to walk away from it. Yeah. But I always tell people, it's like, do I need to tell you that you have cancer before you will actually make a change in your life? Yeah. Do I have to confront you with something that's so scary for you that then you will wake up and go, wow, I'm in a horrible marriage. Wow, I have a, a job that's killing me. Um, oh, I always wanted to be a farmer, but I always thought it was too hard and I wouldn't make, make enough money and I wouldn't be able to support my family. Like whatever these dreams are. Yeah. And I, I think, well, I'll, I've, I've actually told people, well, if you want me to tell you that you're going to die and that you have some horrible thing and you better get busy living your life because your life's super short. Well, legally, I can't really do that. <laughs> but if that's what you need, yeah. you know, and, and I think as human nature, we do become complicit and then we become fearful. And I think that our world, just the modern world, has done a good job at making people very fearful. Oh, right. Yeah, like definitely. you need your big, beautiful house. You need, you need to have this job. Your kids need to go to college. If you don't have the money. You need a retirement. You need all this stuff. You, you can't, you can't do this. You can't do that or whatever. I don't know. You need this bottle of tequila every day at the end of your day to get you through yeah. this horrible life you have to live so you know spend your money here waste your money on this do this um don't take care of yourself don't 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 take care of your body because really you don't need your body i mean there's and then be scared of everybody yeah be scared of all the evil people out there and all the people that are to come in and hurt you and do all this stuff and granted there's evil out there there's no doubt about it i mean The guard dogs saw something move. Keeping a watch. <laughs> but I think that we have we have really instilled fear in people. And so they don't yeah. make the change. And fear and... is just crippling. It keeps your world very small. Yeah. And, you know, to not take those risks, to never take those risks. If you're truly not happy, which so many people seem to not be based upon, you know, just my conversations with people and how much people suffer from, from anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and just... I mean, there's a lot of changes that need to be made. We went from living in a, you know, nice three-bedroom house to a, a 800-square-foot house. We live in a tiny little, it was an old teacher's cottage for the old one-room schoolhouse that's on our property. Yeah, we're sleeping. Me and the girls are sleeping in this awesome old schoolhouse. Yeah, that was built in the early 1900s. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, I I do thank the the childhood that I had for giving me a little bit of perspective on that, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up, not even having electricity and, you know, getting our water out of a ditch that flowed down a mountain that we had to go up and clean all the time and stuff. And it really, uh, it makes it so that I realize that we don't need a lot. And I think people get so swept up in how much they need and you're, you know, 2.5 kids and you're X amount of cars and you're, 
nice house that you can't that you spend your entire life working for yeah. I mean I would say like I feel like I was born to live in a cave with a dog and like that's really all that I need uh, my husband would live like in a canvas tent he, yeah. he might live in like a, a teepee I mean I could live in a teepee I grew up you know like real teepees like yeah we'd go out on the res and we'd set teepees up yeah oh, there They're is great, nothing right? better than an open air teepee mm -hmm. in the summer it's just it smells good it feels yeah. good it's it's cool it's warm it's i i would you know i would uh i don't know in the winter it's a different story but but then again you know you you you, you learn the cycles and you get like that i could i could do that but i think i've gotten i've definitely gotten soft and in a lot of ways <laughs> i like my shower and maybe that is you know, Ryan's always like, let's go to Alaska and homestead or something. And I'm like, I lived a portion of my life with no running water. Yeah. Like, I kind of like a You're shower. Sure. I just have an appreciation for that. Um, but it's not that I, I may not do it again. I just think that, um, you know, and for me too, we just got a, we, we lived in a cottage for 20 years. Mm -hmm. We lived in a little house for 20 years. Um, something was always falling off of it or doing something, you know, but we had a little peak, beautiful piece of land and that's what we loved. Um, and now we got a house that's, you know, to me, a dream house. Some people it wouldn't be. Yeah. And then I think, well, oh gosh, what if I can't afford it? Or what happens if I don't know? And I've kind of gotten to the age now where I'm like, well, I just sell it. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, if we can't afford it, we just sell you it and we figure it out. Do. Um, I, but but at the same time, you know, I know I stay places for a long time. So I kind of was like, I want a place that I know I'm going to like want to be in and stay here and, and, sure. and, you know, um, and that's not falling apart because I'm, I'm not married to a maintenance man. He doesn't like that. There's He'd a, rather be in the mountains <laughs> than fixing the plumbing. There's a fine line with, with comfort and with, you know, necessity, I guess. And we all like to have some comfort though. You know, I will say the happiest place that I'm at is... I, when I'm out backpacking and everything that I need yeah. is I can carry on my back. Like, and I, and I encourage anyone who hasn't done it to do that because it really, it does shift some perspective to realize that you can go out for a week at a time and all you need is your sleeping bag and your raincoat and your, you know, your tent, if you want it, you don't even need that unless yeah. you're in a really rainy area. But you just don't actually need very much to be happy is right. the thing. It's not that you don't, you know, it's to be happy. And I feel like once you step away from all the, the possessions, the belongings, you get that nice big house and then you just, you're trying to fill it up with stuff to make mm -hmm. it look nice. And then there's more stuff. And then that stuff needs to be cleaned and that stuff gets, gets cluttered and gets dusty and, and. You, you, you're spending half your life just trying to clean the stuff and mm -hmm. keep it in order that you don't even actually care about that much. You would be much happier if you were out by like a pine tree watching the squirrels and, you know, laying on your backpack. Right. But um, we get caught up in it. We get caught up in it and everything that we need, that we think that we need. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. Well... It is the, you know, the, the convenience of all that and having, having, um, 
you know, having the resources to be able to gather all that possession. And then as you get older, you're like trying to purge all that. Yeah. Like, I, I, my favorite time in my new house was literally the week I moved in. When it was empty. There was like two chairs in there <laughs> and there was like two, I had to go buy two bar stools so the girls could sit at the thing in the morning and eat breakfast and, and my bed. And that was like, I loved it. I just wanted nothing in there. I just wanted nothing. And now it's like, you know, I've tried to, we've purged a ton of stuff and I'm trying to keep it minimal, but it's like stuff starts coming out and then it's like, I just like it like nothing, you know? Well, something that I spend, you know, and and it's hard for me too. It it really is. But I, I'm trying really hard to be more mindful about just Mm -hmm. what you buy. Right. Like it's so easy, especially now that you can just push a button on your phone and, the next day Amazon is going to have it on your door or whatever. It's so easy to just, Oh, I need this. I need that. I need to buy it. And being more mindful about what you buy and maybe you don't actually need it, or maybe you should wait and, and get the, get the better quality thing that's made by somebody local that, and that, that's what I'm really trying to step into that more of like, you don't need to make impulse buys, just wait and find something, you know, thrift, thrift stores. They're wonderful. They're, they're mm-hmm. fantastic around here. Like there's all these old farmhouses and stuff and you find things that, and I feel so much better about buying like a piece of furniture from a thrift store or something than mm-hmm. buying something that was made in China and shipped overseas that's made out of, you know, something that's going to fall apart in a few years. And- that system is not sustainable. I worked in that business. I was a broker for natural products, but a lot of stuff's made in China. Even the plastic bottles are made in China. Yeah. China has a lot of the equipment that the states don't have because it's so expensive. Companies can't invest. Yeah. So it's actually te- cheaper to take your supplement, ship it to China, have it bottled in yeah. China, and have it shipped back, which is crazy. The amount well, of resources for that to happen. Um, and so being witness to all that, it, it literally changed the way I shop. I'd go into like Target or something. And I would see like a plastic cup on the counter. Yeah. What it you took think about what it to, went get to get that plastic there. cup that you're going to throw away. Mm-hmm. You're going to buy it. You're not going to, you're just going to throw it away. Like what it took to get that cup on that counter for you to buy. Yeah. The amount of resources, the amount of people, the amount of gas, the amount of oil, the amount of, ugh, it's plastic. I mean, you just can't even like fathom it. And I'd be like, I don't need it. Yeah. Like I'm. I don't need it. And we need more people to start to think. Yeah. More people need to see the process and how it's It's not just a plastic cup. No. And it's not sustainable. It's not, it's not going to be something that's going to last forever because the amount of, well, just trade agreements and all the things that have to happen between Mm -hmm. countries for that stuff to happen. If that were to stop, let's say China just cut us off or we cut China off or something. Our whole economy would just change. Yeah. It would most people would say be destroyed, but it would change. And and maybe people would become aware of what they're buying. And then, you know, this life cycle of that thing, you buy it, throw it away. And yeah. then it goes into the landfill and then it goes into this is like it's just like this crazy cycle. So I learned I felt like I really as I'm getting older too, and maybe that's part of it, but seeing that life cycle of a product um, and how now people just throw things away. Everything is disposable. Now I'm like, I would rather pay $500 for a nice 
handmade whatever and keep it for my entire life than go to Ikea and buy this cheap furniture that's going to break down and not anything against Ikea, but you know what I yeah, mean? And it's like, and it's then not in made to last. five more years, I'm going to have to buy another dresser or bed or whatever or cabinet that fell apart. Well, the other, the other aspect <clears throat> of that is being satisfied with what you have. Exactly. Because if you spend $500 to get the nicer dresser, but then in a year you're like, yeah, I don't really like this. So I'm just going to go buy something else. Then you know, it, yeah. it's, it doesn't work, but you have to look at what you have and learn to be satisfied mm -hmm. with it. And that's, you I know. also think building things with your hands, like you said earlier, mm -hmm. um, we don't value that anymore either the same way I feel like we used to, you know, and people don't maybe are artists and people who build these things. You know, if you go into a nice like furniture shop for, we're talking about furniture here, but, and you see like a handmade like somebody worked it's not just yeah. a mill that just put out like you and, know you go and, to ikea they're stacked in boxes where you just pull it off the thing it's like somebody um like our table in our house a guy made that table out of wood and you know we and then we wanted stools we wanted matching benches and so the people that we bought the table from you know they work with local artists and they called them up and said you know they want benches to go with their table so he made us he handmade us some benches and that table i mean we're going to keep that table forever yeah, it'll last forever and that guy worked with his hands and he got that wood and he made that table and and your money is directly supporting him exactly and i feel like i feel like that's lost that's something that's lost too is this skill of people having where they can make a living off of doing something with their hands that they're really skilled at because a lot of people wouldn't know how to, I would not have built a table like that. No. Like the skill that it takes to do that and to build those things. And I, I feel that, um, that that's something that's also being lost with this mass globalization of, um, well, the ease and the, again, the product sales cycle and, and how things are made. And so I feel much more, I'm much more willing to pay somebody that worked yeah, hard on Yeah, I was that. just in a little local um, pottery shop yeah. where she does. She hand throws all this plates and bowls and stuff. And, you know, that's that she's made her living doing that. I mean, she lives very humbly, but she's mm -hmm. made her living doing that her whole life, just making pottery. And, you know, you buy a plate, it's like $25.00. You maybe could go on Amazon and get a plate that's a cheap ceramic plate from China for you 10. could get a whole set. You for could get a whole set for twenty five dollars. But does it is it going to mean anything to you? I mean, mm -hmm. to me, when I pick up her her artwork, it's it makes you feel a certain way, and it's beautiful, and that I will want that mm -hmm. for forever. I mean, I can't imagine not wanting those things that she makes. And, and, you know, I'm paying her directly for this item that she put hours into and, you know, see where she works and what she does. And there's a lot of gratification in that and it mm -hmm. makes you feel good. And, and then it, you don't, you don't go, Oh, I don't like these plates anymore. I'm going to just throw them out. And yeah, yeah because you know, you have this personal connection. Your your child, you drop them. the plate, they and break the it, UPS and you like man cry. Didn't just drop them off on your doorstep, and you have yeah. absolutely no. Yeah, so I, that things like that, like just slowing down and going, I need some plates. Maybe I should actually go look for 
something special mm. as opposed mm. to just, you know, hitting a button on Amazon, taking your, your list of choices here on Amazon and picking that for, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the, the way that we have learned to buy things and marketing is such a, such a bugger, you know, it just, people fall victim to it, to, to the pretty package or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, so slow down before you buy things, I think is my biggest thing. Just, you don't, most things you don't need right this instant mm-hmm. take time to really be mindful about where they come from and yeah, whether I always or not you need them go and through will the you cycle be satisfied of with them how long are you going to have it like what is the purpose of it and do you see this being in the garbage yeah soon yeah right like obviously there's things we buy they go in the garbage because everything is you know um and that's a whole other topic we talk about garbage forever yeah. but <laughs> oh yeah um like, Everybody should take their kid on a field trip to a dump. Oh, yeah. I think. It's it's shocking. Yeah. To like, a, especially a large dump in a, a city dump or something. Take yeah. take your kids there. A school should take kids there on field trips. And, uh, and just go look at it. Right. And then that might make you think a little bit more about what you buy. Yeah. And how quickly you throw things away. Right. Yeah, we... Um... We've, we've held on to things sometimes way too long. I'm like, all right, that's got to go. It has no purpose. It's been in the garage for 10 years yeah. and I'm sick of looking at it. But um, that's where I think too, if you're going to purge, purge. And then when you buy stuff, think about what you're buying. You know, again, like getting just more conscious of that so yeah. that. Don't fill your life with clutter just because you feel like you yeah. need to buy something. Yeah. And um I think that's a trap that I think that's a trap that we all we all get stuck mm, in. Yeah. Um, with consumerism and you know, um it's uh I think about back when my grandparents were young, they didn't even have plastic. Yeah. They they probably ate off the same plate and they had a cup and they had the same silverware and you know, if you're talking about children of the depression, they were there was like no plastic. No. So, you know, your life was small. You didn't travel very far. You weren't flying to China on an airplane, you know. People worked um, really hard. They didn't and... have IV bags. Like if you got the flu, you might die. I mean, there was yeah. a lot of things. There's a lot of things plastic does do for us. but And that's an important thing to remember, too, is that, you know, it's easy to look at the, oh, things were so much better back then or whatever. Right. That's not necessarily true. No. I mean, our lives are pretty, pretty great right now, but yeah. we have to. We really have to keep some perspectives and not, not lose what is great about it. I think, I think for me, just being a healthcare person is that when we talk about food and, and, you know, we, we, we kind of beat on this, like you need to be conscious about what you do. It's really, it's really about your body. Again, going back to this, you know, we have a short life and we have a short health span and these things that we created to make our lives easier they they're twofold they have this they make our lives easier but they are also damaging us in a way that we may not understand for a long time you know plastic's a great example of that is that there is no doubt a lot more people live because of it our life is much more convenient it's probably safer in a lot of ways mm-hmm. there's 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 things that you know we absolutely couldn't do without plastic but you know what plastic does when we're done with it and yeah. what happens to it once it hits the environment and now how it's you know in the fat of polar bears and it's in our fat our bodies, and it's yeah. in our nervous system and 
um, even, you know, the Roundup and all these chemicals, the herbicides, pesticides, Teflons, all these things that we're going to make our lives easier do make our lives easier. What is the consequence? But what is the cost and what is the consequence? Is it cancers? Is it Alzheimer's disease? Is it um, autoimmune diseases? Is it all the things that we're seeing now in our short health span that are going to be affecting us? And so I think for me, that's the bigger question of what's going to happen to this product if I buy it and how is it affecting my health and my children's health and that kind of thing. Same thing with like, you know, why should I choose organic food over non-organic food? Well, mm, if yeah. you, if you, if you look at a, a, a non-organic piece of fruit, it probably may even look way better than that organic piece of fruit. But we're talking about what is it going to do for your body and what, what are you going to be exposed to and what do those herbicides and pesticides do in the body over the long term? And obviously it's body load. You know, if you have one peach sprayed with something, it may not be that big deal. But if you're feeding your children a peach every single day sprayed with something, um, that that has a body load and that's going to build up over time. And so I think that for me is the bigger consequence of making our lives easier is now, now how do we, you know, how do we justify a lot of the things that we've done? So to our health. Yeah. And food particular for me, you know, doing the farming and everything, I really, that became a really important thing, um, watching how small farms, you know, I think small farms are great. Sustainable agriculture is great, but it's, there's so many people who start farming and quit because it's too much work for not enough money. Mm -hmm. um it's our food system is it's just broken and one of the things that i think is is the main problem is that people are people are willing to people want food to be cheap they just do people are willing to pay more money for like a nicer house or a nicer car or a nicer iphone or a nice they're they're willing to pay more money for all of this this other stuff that's going to be nicer or better quality but nobody wants to pay more money for better quality food. We're like, oh, this food is so expensive. And I mean, of all the things that you could spend your money on, food, I think, is probably the most important. That's what you're putting into your body. That's what you're feeding your kids. That's what's going to to keep you healthy or not. And what is more important than that? What is more important than your health? Something you do, I mean, unless you're fasting, I mean... You're doing it every single day of your entire life, you know, it's, and it's, I tell people food is low force, but, but it's, it's something that you'll never stop. Like it's one thing, you know, you're going to be exposed to this your whole life. Like, you know, um, well diet diet's not going to help my health condition or, you know, like, uh, it's like, no, it will. Yeah, it it's going to take a little <laughs> sure. time. It's not an instant fix. Uh, no, it's not a, it, but it will. And, and once you experience that, then you will understand. But we, we do, we have this weird disconnect where, um, food is just like a convenience or something. It's like, Oh, we have to eat, you know, and, yeah. and we don't want to. And I mean, I'm as guilty as anything. I have a four-year-old who I can barely mm, get to eat it's rough. anything. And yeah. what does she want? Like, she wants like bunnies, like 
yeah, bunny Gold crackers. crackers or something. That's like it. And I'm kidding you. I, I, I was like, she won't eat anything. We're on a trip. She won't eat anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she needs to eat. So, you know, I break down and get her bunny fish and yeah. she'll eat them. And I'm like, then I'm like, oh, I can't believe you're eating them, you know? And I'm like, at least I buy the organic kind. Like, what are that? Yeah, yeah, that's your. <laughs> I just saw, what did I see? I just saw like organic. Oh, it was uh, Doritos, organic oh, Doritos. Uh, <laughs> but it is so it's like sometimes it's a struggle right and I don't I don't want to put people down and say oh you're you know people will be like oh you never do that I'm like listen to me I screw up all the time I try to do the best I can but most of the time it's like okay well if you're not going to eat the healthy food then you're not going to eat like I'm not going to keep giving you bunny crackers and just let you eat that because you know you have to but she'll learn, right? Because my 10-year-old yeah. now, she gets it. She went through the same phase. She gets it. Like, we eat vegetables. Like, we eat healthy food, right? So I still have to coax her, but she yeah. does it. And it's this young, it's this It's this early conditioning. There's a, there's a so really, important. I can't remember what, it was on, like, Radio Lab or something, some podcast I listened to when my kids were very young that they were talking about, about taste, how we taste things. And... What they were saying is, you know, how people's taste buds are developed and that it can take tasting something up to like seven or eight times before your taste buds adjust to it. Mm-hmm. So for like when you're feeding your kids, if they try sweet potato and they're like, oh, I hate this. I'm, I don't want to eat this. And maybe you give it to them again and they're like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. And then you're like, oh, I tried a couple times and they hate it. I'll just not feed them sweet potato anymore. But it actually can take like eight times of tasting something. Bef- and then your taste buds will adjust to it. And and I was really thankful that I that I heard that when I was trying to feed my children in that phase where all they wanted was like goldfish crackers and macaroni and cheese because... You know, I kept pushing stuff on him. I kept being like, no, we're going to eat this Brussels sprout. And I know you hate it. And, and it's a battle. It's not it's not hard You or it's not easy. You you put some effort into it. But, you know, there's things now that my kids will eat that they just dug their heels on before in before and adamantly wouldn't eat it. And just a little bit of consistency. And now they're like, oh, yeah, I love sweet potato. Oh, Brussels sprouts, no problem. You know, all that stuff. And so it is worth putting that effort in. But I know it's hard. I mean, I did it for a while, too, where I was the, I think the biggest thing for me, you've got a four-year-old, which is still tricky. I, when my kids got to the point where I realized they didn't need snacks mm-hmm. very much, mm-hmm. where you quit carrying, like, snacks in your purse. And every time you go somewhere, you fill a bag full of snacks so that they can have, because that's where you tend to really default to stuff like that but when I was like you know what if I feed my kids something healthy they're not gonna die if they go a few hours without eating and then I'll feed them something healthy again and that's been huge I think we we did one day my daughter was like throwing a fit over having to eat breakfast and and Jason was going to take her to see a movie that day they was going to take the kids and they just she freaked out, wouldn't eat breakfast. And he's like, okay, here's your last chance. You can eat breakfast. You're not very, very clearly, very calmly said, I'm not going to get you anything else to eat for the rest of the day until dinner time. And they're like, ah, you know, they don't, they don't believe it. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'll whine for some food. And so they're like, no, I don't want to eat anything. And, and 
more power to him. He stuck by it. He actually took them to town. <laughs> He's they a went, Navy SEAL. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, exactly. They, I don't know that I could have done it. They no. went like grocery shopping and stuff. He oh, didn't wow. get them anything. And they knew, like they knew that he was serious about it. And they came home and they were so hungry. And my daughter, she's like, mom, can I go, can I go pick some tomatoes out in the garden? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Go out to the garden, go find anything you want to eat. That's perfectly fine. But all of a sudden, this stuff that she didn't want to eat before was like, tasted, seemed like it would taste really good. And then they sat down and ate, you know, I fed them an early dinner and they ate and they ate their dinner really well. And sometimes you need a little reset like that where you just hold the line Mm -hmm. on it and go, no, you guys are not going to die if you don't eat your snacks all day long. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty soon that fresh stuff out of the garden or the fruit and veggies that I have on the counter are going to actually start looking pretty good to you. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing we do with our kids, I noticed that I do this, is we think they need to be eating all the time. All the time. You yeah. know, parents are like, oh, they're not eating. And I'll do that. Well, she sometimes my four-year-old, she's a finicky eater. And she'll just say, I'm full. Yeah. And I'll say, how are you full? And she's like, I'm full. I don't want to eat. And I used to be like, you have to eat. You have to do this. Now I've come to the point where I just say, well, she doesn't want to eat. She's listening to her body. And I think this is also the disconnect that we start to get as we get older is if we're eating when we shouldn't eat. We're eating when we're not hungry. Yeah. We're not listening to the signals of our body and we're overeating. And then, yeah, then we are just forcing fishy crackers on our kids when they're saying I'm not hungry we override those signals of the brain that are doing what they're supposed to be doing because our ancestors weren't eating all the time they were not eating all the time and so including the kids I'm sure yeah and and children um probably much like animals you know they I think they're they're more inherently attuned to their needs uh than even us adults are Meaning, I'm not hungry, that means I don't eat. Uh, Whereas we're like, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm this, I'm going to go eat a piece of pie when I'm so full, I ate all that dinner, but I'm still going to go eat that pie. And we kind of train ourselves to do that. If we just let, let, we kind of went more by what our body was telling us, you know, we probably would also be able to have less of these conditions we see now where people, I mean, like leptin is a great example. Everybody's got high leptin now and we're like, what is, well, leptin's a hormone that tells your, that your brain tells your body you're full. Yeah. And now we see leptin resistance. People are secreting so much leptin because their gut is no longer telling their brain they're full. So their body, their brain keeps thinking they need to secrete more leptin. It's like insulin. It's like insulin resistance. And it's really common in overweight people Mm -hmm. where you have these people come in and they say, I know I'm overweight. I know I need to lose weight, but I'm not full. I'm never full. Yeah. And you test their leptin, it's like sky high. So they're not actually getting the signal. So they still think they're hungry. Of course, you know, they're probably eating too many sugary carbs and stuff. Yeah. But um, I think that we start that with our children really young, forcing things on them. They don't want to eat. They and don't want to do it. They're intermittent fasting. Let them fast. If they don't want to eat dinner, this is another thing. My daughter's not a big dinner eater. I just quit fighting her to eat dinner. She obviously doesn't want to eat dinner. And sometimes she'll come at 10 o'clock, right? Like last night I told you she's going to be like, Mom, I'm starving. (laughs) Sometimes she'll do that. And sometimes she won't. She'll just go to bed. So I say, oh, she's fasting. She gets up in the morning and she eats. Um, I think we just need to 
remember that our food issues and, and our signals sometimes are kind of screwed up. Yeah. We don't listen to our bodies as adults. We eat when we're maybe not supposed to. We eat out of emotional needs. Um, we, we gravitate towards foods that aren't that healthy for us because we were taught that those are comfort foods or whatever. If you're teaching your children that, they're going to kind of grow up with those same ideas about food. And so sometimes it's just like letting them make a choice, giving them the options. Here's your options. If you How have you, you, um, have both your daughters gone hunting? No, just my older one. My uh-huh. little one is, yeah, she's watched plenty of her dad yeah, and videos she knows hunting that and he stuff. Hunts. Does yeah. he butcher animals at home? Or? Yeah. Well, he's doing the mainly the backcountry, so he's deboning yeah. them out and bringing them, but he does all the meat preparation yeah. at home. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're used to seeing that. My little one is interesting. She, um, she's more sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's her age still. Well, my older daughter's like, pfft. Yeah, She'll tell anybody on the street about how she went bear hunting with her dad and like the whole story. And people are <laughs> All like, the gory details. What? <laughs> how old are you? You know, and my little one, she's still very sensitive to watching things where animals are getting <clears throat> killed and stuff. And, you know, everybody's different how they perceive it. But we've, yeah. we've always had that meat. So meat in our household, it's kind of like having chicken eggs. Yeah. Chickens lay eggs. We have chicken eggs, you know. Yeah. Um, but food association, I think, is important. My little one threw up a bunch of eggs. She won't eat eggs now. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. she's like, those eggs make me sick. My kids both just had a round of the flu and both had episodes of throwing up various things. And they're, no, <laughs> they're no. like, I'm never going to eat that again. No, like pizza. <laughs> we had a throw up incident pizza. And it was like, pizza is bad for me, mommy. Yeah. And I'm like, it is. Yeah. Let's keep thinking like that, you know. Um, but I just, I feel like, you know, we on... On our farm, we started butchering chickens when the kids were really little, raising mm-hmm. our own meat, meat chickens and butchering them. And and I wasn't sure how the kids would would take that, you know. I mean, they're they're they raised them from chicks, and they were cute and fluffy, and they were holding them, and then they they would feed them every day and bring them vegetables and raise them into these big chickens, which you know, and they knew all along that they were going to get butchered. But what does that really mean to a kid? And um. But, you know, including them in the whole process, including the day that they're getting butchered and them standing there watching these chickens get their throats slit and then being involved in the whole process of plucking and and cleaning and everything. And they they took it so well. And I think it adds so much value to the food, right? You're not just buying a chicken from the grocery store. This is a chicken that you have held as a baby, you've coddled and cared for, you've gone and found bugs and grass and things, you know, the kids love to do that, to go like, oh, I'm going to go collect up bugs for the chickens or whatever and, and taken care of. And then you see this animal die, or part of the animal dying, and then um, you don't have to get your hands dirty cleaning the animal and, and mm-hmm. preparing it for our consumption. It's we're so far removed from that now for most mm-hmm. people and even people who are vegetarians or vegans, you know, they're, they they sometimes people get annoyed with them because they're on this sort of, well, I don't I don't hurt animals. You know, I don't eat animals because I don't want to hurt animals. And it's like, well, you know, there's a tremendous amount of farmland being cleared to grow crops 
and every bit of that farmland that's cleared is displacing animals, mm -hmm. is, is destroying their habitat, is killing, you know, ne nesting ground birds and things and the soil microbes. And there's this, there's this important circle of life. And I feel like my kids have, they've witnessed that from a young age. They've seen how, you know, up here, it's really interesting because, um, there's, there's deer get killed by mountain lions. When we first moved up here, we had, um, a mountain lion hanging around our place and it was killing deer. And you would see, you would know the deer was killed because you would see the eagles and the vultures coming mm -hmm. in. So we would go and find the carcass and the kids would see this freshly killed deer and then all the eagles and buzzards coming in. And, and within two days, the thing is stripped bare and gone. Mm -hmm. And them getting to see that sort of how, yes, it's very sad that something died. And it is. It's it's always sad when something dies. But something else uses it. Those those eagles are trying to raise babies. And their babies will die mm -hmm. if they don't have food. And, you know, it, it, it goes around and around and around, the circle of life. And I've really explained that to the kids. And I think it it brings them into this loop of how we eat, that we are in that same circle. Things die for us to live. Whether you're a vegetarian or whether you're a meat eater or whatever, things are still dying for us to have the food that we, that we eat. And, you know, it, it makes you have to stop and think about what you're eating a lot more. Now, when you're eating, of course, when you're eating better quality stuff when you're when you're taking the effort to buy your meat from local farms who those animals have been raised you know in in a green pasture with the probably the farmer's kids looking after them mm -hmm. taking, they've they've lived a great life and their meat is so much better quality same with if you get hunt a wild animal the meat is so much better quality you're getting all the omegas and things from them eating real grass as opposed to eating god knows what they feed them in feedlots and stuff mm -hmm. you really need less of it and that's the thing it's like i don't i don't with meat i feel like we eat meat for sure but you don't need to eat a ton of meat mm -hmm. as long as you're eating good quality meat you get what you need from it and this is all stuff that I wish every kid could have explained to them because yeah. without it, you know, their bag of goldfish crackers shows up in front of them and they think, oh, this is, you know, this is great. And food has, food is just something you stick in your mouth and it has no consequence whatsoever, no impact on the environment or on anything. And being able to have kids, and, and another, I was like, take your kids to the dump. Take your kids to a farm where they're doing butchering. There's mm -hmm. farms that do that. There's places you know they'll butcher a couple hundred chickens in a day or something and that might be shocking to your kids but all of a sudden they're gonna look at it a little bit differently and go maybe I'm not gonna waste all the food on my plate because some animal died for me to have this and this is why I'm healthy because I'm having this but at the same time so I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for being being in a place where I'm able to to show that to my children and hope that that has some impact you know they're the adults of the future and they're going to be mm -hmm. go, growing up and and teaching other people and um, whatever they choose to do as their professions and stuff I really mm -hmm. hope that that kind of what they're learning from this can leave a lasting impact mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, I mean, our relationship with food is really where everything begins as far as how we're going to develop and grow and and that relationship and, and that you see that you are part of the circle. You you can't live on this planet without leaving an impact. Without doing something. It's, it's going back to the same idea of, you know, over-consuming and how is this cycle working and how are you a part of this cycle? Well, you can't totally, you, you might be able to totally remove yourself, but not really. And food is the same thing. You, you can't say, I don't eat these, I don't eat plant, I don't eat animals, I don't kill animals, so I don't have any, I don't have any responsibility yeah. to this, you know. Um, that's not true because like you said, the, just the way life is, is that it's a cycle that requires. Um, it starts with the, with the soil. It starts with yep. microbes and mycorrhiza in the soil, things like that. Without that being healthy, then nothing is going to grow out of the soil and be healthy. Right. And clean water. Those, yeah. are, those are really the, the two things that all the way around we need more than anything else. What Jason and I were talking recently about what we'll look back on in 100 years and go, you know, I can't believe this is what we were doing 100 years ago. Which, yeah. you know, we can look back now and go 50 years, 100 years and go, wow, you know, how did we manage to basically almost drive the buffalo to extinction? How did we manage? Why were we spraying? 24D and stuff like that all over everything, which, you know, at some point we realized how bad it was, but we're still doing that kind of stuff, just slightly different. And I think in a hundred years, when we look back, the, the, the main thing that we're going to say, why didn't we do better on is, is our environment. Mm -hmm. And that goes with the choices we make. I would say you, you vote, you vote with your dollar with food, right? Mm -hmm. If you choose to buy the cheap food, if you choose to buy you're voting to, you know, the impact that that has both on your health and on the environment. And so it's hard people. It's really easy for people to go, I can't afford, I can't afford to buy all the organic food. I can't afford to. And, you know, it's, it's not actually true if you're careful about it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you buy, if you, a CSA farm is a great option for yeah. getting a large amount of vegetables for a pretty reasonable price usually, but you have to be willing to cook those vegetables. You mm -hmm. have to be willing to use those and it's not the most convenient method. Um, local farms, you can go buy a half a cow or a whole cow or whatever way cheaper than you can buy, um, you know, packaged meat in the supermarket. It's mm -hmm. going to be healthier. It's going to be better, but you have to put a little bit of effort into it. And not everyone is willing to do that yet. Mm -hmm. I hope we can get more people on board with realizing that they really, they really do have power. Each person has power to um, make some big changes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's right. You put your money where, you know, you put your money where your mouth is. And if you <laughs> literally, yeah. you know, choose the things that are going to give you that longer health span. And if I can get through to anybody, I mean, that's when your body goes, you will regret everything. You yeah. will look back and say, why didn't I do that? Why did I do this? Why? Nobody ever is like, oh, my body starts failing me, and I'm just so glad I didn't take care of it. I'm it's so funny, glad though. I... People will wait until their body is actually well, at that's that what point I said. before they, wait, they will make a change. They wait until they get the, you know, the diagnosis. They mm -hmm. get the bad news. They get the, 
you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, you have six weeks to live kind of thing, you know, and, and yeah, things, you know, things happen. It's not always like because you ate a crappy diet, but, but if you're looking at the long term, there's no way that that hasn't impacted yeah, and it 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 plays a role in it. So, and even if you somehow manage to survive your crappy diet and live to be ninety nine mm-hmm. years old and relatively healthy, you still have left a big impact with those choices mm-hmm. on the environment. And you know, I think we can we can always do better. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really what day to day what we're always trying to do is just do a little bit better I'm not perfect I'm sure you're not perfect with all the I'm 100% the choices perfect. that you made well <laughs> minus those fishy crackers minus, those, my minus my four-year-old <laughs> eating habits I'm perfect but well I just know here's the thing if you get healthier you get tuned in and when you make a choice that's not so great you notice it yeah that's for sure. the difference so you know, you go on a trip and you drink a bunch of Mai Tais or you have those organic Doritos or whatever, (laughs) and then you eat it and you go, oh, I don't feel good. So there's a connection there of your body saying to you, yeah, I don't like this or don't do this all the time or, all right, we've had enough and listening listening to the body. And then you get clued in just like your child does. You know, I threw up that pizza. Pizza's not good for me. I don't yeah. want to eat pizza. Um, it's not like you'll never do it again, but you just understand. You become closer to how you feel. And then it's when we lose the connection. It's, it's when we think that the way we feel doesn't matter and we continue to do something based on our addiction or our need or like what our emotional issues, whatever. And we don't, we don't clue into the signals that our body's giving us. Yeah. Right. Like I've got headaches. I've got acne. I'm constipated. I have anxiety. I'm depressed. I, I, um, there's so many things, right. Yeah. And people just think like, well, can't you just give me a pill for that? And I'm just or like, that that's just oh, normal. That's your just body. How, just... That's just how my life is. Well, if you're talking about children, yeah. If you've been fed Cheetos, yeah, they don't even every know day how they since feel. you were five, or and you were never breastfed, mm-hmm. and then you started eating fried chicken and Cheetos at two, mm-hmm. and you never had a vegetable. Nobody encouraged you to eat a vegetable, and then you know, your dad drank a six pack every night, so mm-hmm. you drink a six pack every night. You know, it's like. It, yeah, that becomes you, you, your norm, you and so you've always you been constipated. You think that's normal. Exactly. When I ask you, "Are you constipated?" you go, "I don't know." Oh, that's isn't everybody constipated? Doesn't everybody have a headache when they wake up every day? Yeah. Like it becomes the norm. So, no, you don't have to feel like that. Yeah. And the best way to do that is by changing your diet. A hundred percent. I notice now if I eat like I don't eat very hard rarely do I eat bread anymore yeah and and when I do eat bread I get a stomach ache like it hurts my stomach I'll wake up in the morning I'm like oh why did I eat that and I there's so often where when I do eat things like that and then I just immediately regret it I'm like yeah. I know that this isn't good for me and I know it's gonna make me feel bad 
So why do I continue to do it? And, and that's called, that's just, uh, to me, that's being tuned in. Yeah. That's your body giving you the but signal and you, you need listening. to actually eat healthy for a while to exactly <laughs> to be able to, to, to see that. If, yeah. you, if, if you never eat healthy, then you just feel like crap all the time and you don't know what it feels like to, yep. to feel better. It's, oh, yeah, it's, it's a dilemma. <laughs> you think it's the easiest thing to do. It's not. It's the hardest. It's the hardest thing yeah, to do for it people. It seems to be. Yeah.